You're listening to Education Experts with EDX Education. Education is evolving. Join Heather Welch from EDX Education chatting with teachers, psychologists, parents, authors, creatives and other talented experts to keep up with the trends and what's happening from around the globe. This podcast series from EDX Education discusses home learning, school readiness, being creatives, changing in education, discussing what's next, hands-on learning, or as we like to say, learning through play. Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education and today I'll be in conversation with Kim West, award-winning author and founder of The Sleep Lady and the Gentle Sleep Coach and Certificate Program. Kim has been practicing a child and family therapist for over 27 years. She's helped over 20,000 Thai parents all over the world. I think I would have been one of them, definitely, Kim. (laughs) I definitely would have loved to have you on my side when my children were small. Um, Today we're chatting with Kim about sleep for children, the importance of sleep, sleep recommendations, and the Sleep Lady Shuffle, which I look forward to hearing about. And we're going to touch on your books as well. So Mm -hmm. welcome, Kim. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. Look, can I ask you how and ask you to introduce your passion for sleep? How did you get involved in sleep? I mean, I love sleep personally, so I think it's a fantastic thing. Yes, it is. I think it also honestly was because I loved sleep. And when I was pregnant with my first daughter, my older brother, who's both his children are six months older than both my daughters. And um, he came to visit with his wife and, and baby and they were a wreck. They weren't sleeping. You know, Denise, my sister-in-law said maybe she'd have to quit her job. She was afraid of getting into a car accident. They were fighting. And this is a happy couple. They're still together today. Um, Happy for you to know, um, 28 years later. And they said, we're never having any more children. We can't take it. And I was like, what? (laughs) This is a thing. You know, I think that, that when we're pregnant, we just tend to think don't babies just eat, sleep and poop. And what's the big problem. And uh, that scared me. And when I get anxious about stuff, I research. That's just the way I do it. Even if it's an illusion of control, Um, it's something I used to do. And, and I, it meant I started reading books because we didn't have Google 27 years ago. <laughs> no, we didn't, um, did we? <laughs> no, it's hard to believe that there was even life without it. Um, you actually, there were a lot of things you just didn't know. You had to go to the library. And, um, and that became my mission. That in addition to, because I needed sleep and then I got some bad advice with my daughter on top of 27 years ago, the only thing out there was to let your baby cry. And I, you know, as a family therapist, knew the importance of creating a secure attachment with my child, i.e. a relationship in which she trusts me um, to keep her safe and to meet her needs. And I thought, wow, there's got to be a different way. Um, And I did this with a lot of things in parenting and I developed a gentle method and I used it on my children and all my friends and families, kids, until finally I added it to my practice and it absolutely exploded. And I just have continued my passion for sleep. I think it's fascinating and essential and I could talk for days about it. 
Can I ask you, did you have sleeping, did you get both your sleeping, their babies were sleeping babies or did you have ones that were slightly more difficult? My second one is the one who mm-hmm. put me in my place and, <laughs> and helped me be a, what I call better sleep lady. She it's was awesome. very, very alert and, you know, had to be on a, on a set schedule and had to be sleeping in her room in just such a way. And, oh yeah, boy, she was much harder. It's funny, I have got two boys and neither of them, whether I did it wrong, I don't know. I tried with my first one crying it out. And actually I found that really hard. It didn't really work for me. So whether I did it wrong, who knows? It it just didn't work. And then it actually just got them more upset. And we ended up in like this lovely uh, vicious cycle where it didn't become easier. So maybe I should have done it for two weeks or three weeks. I don't know. But um, is that co-regulation I found hard? I, you know, you find that bond and then actually to break it and allow them to do that. But I am not a sleep expert. I've I've definitely done all the mistakes with sleeping with my children. So I can definitely say that they're happy, but they weren't great sleepers. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I feel like, unfortunately, parenting has become so filled with criticism and judgment. And I really, there's not a right and a wrong way. You know, um, you, we all as parents have to figure out what we want as a family, how we want to raise our children. And then I think on top of it, we have to factor in our children's temperament to your question earlier, right here. I have two girls, so same gender, same parents and very different temperaments, you know, so it was my job as a parent to, to pivot. Um, so one, it's not a one size fits all. And, and this is not in any criticism or judgment or potential panic of parents listening to this who did let their child cry. And now they're wondering, oh my gosh, maybe I've broken that trust and that attachment. If you were able to do full extinction, which is let your baby cry and don't go in and check on them. And they didn't cry for long periods of time and they slept through the night and they're doing well, then all is well, right? I wanted, my mission is, well, not only is my mission to have quality advice being given to parents, but also options to be given to parents because it isn't a one size fits all world in parenting um, and in a lot of things with with children. And I just want parents to have options so that if you either tried cry it out and your child cried for hours, um, which there are some kids (laughs) who will, um, or you just knew from the get-go you couldn't stomach that and therefore couldn't be consistent, which can make the problem worse, then there should be options other than, you know, suffering for months or years. And so that's where I feel like having, you know, a gentler approach is an option for a parent. I, I would be really interested in a case study. Have you ever had, what's the worst case you've had for a child not sleeping? Have you had the absolute like 10 minutes sleep all night and that's it and just won't go back? Have you ever had a, a parent that's come to you absolutely probably completely ruined and asking for help? Absolutely. I've worked with, or as you read, you know, over 20,000 families. So I've had families where, I mean, I've never actually had a family who the child literally only slept 20 minutes in 12 hours at night. Oh, no. um, you know, I have had families 
where I'm thinking about one family where they only could sleep 20 minutes every hour because the baby had a heart condition. But for sure, have I had the children who are up, you know, 10, 20 times, parents losing their temper, <laughs> um, whatever, multiple feedings during the day and night to get them to sleep, driving in the car in snowstorms and <laughs> you name it. And I've probably heard it. What What is interesting is that what, What's more important is how much sleep deprivation a family can manage before they reach out for help. So I have read history forms where I'm literally like, I don't know how your you parents are still standing <laughs> to have, you know, and then I've read <laughs> other ones where they've been, you know, suffering for three weeks and they're ready to throw in the towel um, or even two weeks. So it's all relative, right? It's all about what we can handle. I, for instance, can't handle a lot of sleep deprivation without feeling the ill effects of it. I always say to myself, I probably couldn't, even though I would have liked to have been a pediatrician, if I could do it over again, I don't know if I'd be able to handle the sleep deprivation of residency, <laughs> you know, and some of that is, has a genetic base to it. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you find that there's common inhibitors to sleep with children? I mean, not with adults, but with children. So for newborn, are there common things that we do maybe as a parent that we do and maybe we shouldn't, I don't know, like, do they do too much technology? Because I remember when, if you think about TV, uh -huh. when we were little, when I was young, there was only two, probably two programs and they'd finished at six, six o'clock at night. So there wouldn't be a problem having any technology before bed because it would be finished. Yeah, I think I'm happy to say that during my career, I've seen the attention to sleep vastly increase, um, mm -hmm. both in science and in the media, which I'm really excited about because in the beginning, I just felt like I was standing in a, you know, in a closet screaming, right? Like <laughs> everybody sleeps really important, but we are learning more and more, thank goodness. So most people know now that technology is a real inhibitor of sleep, What's in, in, which is why they say that we should not have any screen time, at least two hours, and for adults, at the very least one hour before we go to sleep. So that really means, honestly, not even having your phone by your bed. Um, because then we could talk about EMFs, right? Um, and that affecting sleep. So I usually start with families like, can we try to have two hours of technology and not have our pre go to sleep routine include an iPad and go back to reading picture books. There's so much amazing science and research on the benefits of reading books that are illustrated also on top of just reading books with our kids. So that's, and not to mention super great connection time with our kids. And, you know, if you haven't heard about this yet, listeners, is that, you know, the main factor with screen time is that the blue light that's admitted from the screen tells our body, our pineal gland to not secrete melatonin, the drowsy making hormone. And that tells our body when to go to sleep. So that's a big reason. You can use apps like Flux as an example that will help dim the, the screen. There are some adhesion screens you can put 
on things like phones and iPads. And there's also um, smart bulbs now that you can, you know, change the, the tone of the light and even kind of sleep smart bulbs too. So there are some things that are coming out on the market, thank goodness, to, to help us. And then the other thing is, although I'm hoping this is getting better, is that we don't tend to make sleep a priority, you know, and we have electricity and the internet to help us avoid going to bed on a, on a regular time. But in general, we're supposed to go to sleep around the same time and wake up around the same time. And it's just harder now with kids, you know, we have sports and so much homework. And then, you know, during the pandemic, we had so much screen time. And then (laughs) even without the pandemic, there's always a lot of screen time, particularly if you have teenagers, at least at the very least teaching our kids about the effects of screen time on sleep and teaching our kids about the importance of sleep and how it can benefit them in sports performance, in academic performance in reducing depression and anxiety, ability to pay attention and have a more positive attitude even. They also had, I know that with my children, a lot of the friends in the class started wearing those blue glasses or those glasses, you know, the glasses stop the screen and to make it, because they were, I mean, my oldest child at the end of the pandemic, I think it was the third time we had lockdown, we ended up um, about six hours a day on screen time and he's, you know, he was a young boy. He didn't really appreciate being on the screen that much doing homework. Yeah. yeah. So I, I remember giving him a fit, fit ball to sit on, you know, one of those big, yeah. those big circle balls. And yeah. one of the teachers used to say to him that he needs to turn his uh, camera off because I'm making him seasick. <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't, I mean, just what didn't suit him at all. He needs to move. He's just one of those yeah. children that need to, be, to yeah. be in there. But did you find during the pandemic, you had more, a lot of people that were reaching out and I suppose they couldn't see in the cycle of, you know, sleep, technology, being exercised, food, all these things. It was like a vicious cycle. If you weren't feeding one, it was coming to the other type thing. So then, and then sleep would be affected, then mental health. And Oh my goodness. Absolutely. And not to mention anxiety, right? Because the whole world was scared, at least in the, in the beginning. Um, This is why you're still seeing long wait lists for therapists And so, and not to mention social impact um, with children um, from the isolation of being home and then parents trying to work from home while having their kids home. I mean, really uh, lots of anxiety. So definitely saw that. So hard to pay attention for everyone, right? Uh, That many hours in front of a screen. And then especially when, when you're a child, um, so that, that definitely affected it. And then I, and this is just a hypothesis, but I've also seen within my coach community and they've seen this in their clients, an increase in the diagnosis for restless leg syndrome, which is um, when you have low ferritin levels. And one idea is this, is it because we were not perhaps eating as well? and healthily and getting enough vitamin D and iron and um, other things um, in our diet during the pandemic. Um, Restless legs feels like you just can't go to sleep. You're just feeling restless the whole time. 
Yeah. You, yeah. Uh, within, yeah. Usually people complain about it within their limbs, but you can have it in other areas of your body, but that's the most popular known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you feel, it could feel like, you know, spiders crawling on their legs. Some people say what they used to say decades ago as growing pains was actually yeah. restless leg. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Cause growing pains, is they say when children are small, they get pains in their legs don't they yeah and they don't think um now listen I know that you've written you've written quite a few books so you've written one which is the sleep ladies good night sleep tight book mm-hmm. could you let me know what it's about because our listeners know what it's about mm-hmm. so that book is for um parents of babies six months to children six years of age and it basically outlines my gentle um, sleep lady shuffle uh, method for sleep coaching to help your child learn how to go to sleep independently, sleep through the night and take restorative naps. And for a, new, for a newborn parent, would there anything they'd be able to read? So I, teens and maybe suggestions and things to try and inhibitors or. Yeah. So I had, so that book's been out for 16 years mm-hmm. and it's been edited three times. It's on its third edition. Um, I'm proud to say. And uh, in the last edition I took, there is a chapter on newborns, but I took out most of it because I'm coming out with my brand new book in oh, March so of yeah, 23. And that will be the sleep ladies, gentle newborn sleep guide. Um, that will come out in March. And then at the end of next year, the twinized version of that book will come out. So addressing zero to five month old twins. So <laughs> really excited about that. And you're right. What, what we'll be talking about is not sleep training newborns because the science doesn't support that they are ready for that, nor do they have the skills for that, but how to uh, set up what I call baby led sleep shaping. So it's that foundation that you set in the first three months so that depending on your child's health and temperament at month four or five, um, you can start gently implementing um, further sleep learning. Ah, Do you find that parents would say over two or three kids are much more relaxed or they're the ones that actually come and when they get a really restless sleeper, they're like, or an unsettled sleeper, they're the ones that find it harder or is it because the children just sort of have to fit in with three others they are much more relaxed well there's Mm -hmm. no science (laughs) um I thought that was going to happen with my second one like because she's the second (laughs) one right but wrong (laughs) so it really is uh so much of how a child sleeps and their behavior is temperament related along with, of course, their behavior in general and how they take in the world and process it. So even though it makes sense logically, it doesn't always happen that way that the second or third is, you know, has to be an easier baby and is more adaptable. So the other thing is they do, there is some science that shows that parents of at least one child, they are more relaxed in their later pregnancies, which makes sense, you know, just because you you have an idea of what's going to happen and you're not as afraid. I mean, I remember in the beginning with my first one, like 
I thought the newborn diaper was much too big. I thought her little legs looked like they could so easily break. You know, <laughs> um, I remember you had different fears than you do when you have your second or third. Um, so I don't always, I don't think it's, you know, I always say to parents, I hope for you that you have an e easy angel baby for number two, three, four, whatever, but know that there's no guarantee. I <laughs> know there's no there's no parenting book that comes out with each one the instruction manuals very much lost now I know that you've developed this course the gentle sleep coach and certificate program so can oh. you tell us a, a little bit about is it for people that want to coach other parents or train the trainers you training trainers to be able yes. to yes yeah so uh, over you know my 27 years of doing this I would get emails saying probably around 15 16 years ago I want to learn to, to do what you do. I'm a nurse in Europe. I'm a whatever uh, mom in New Jersey, you know, uh, England, wherever in the world. And I always politely said no, because I wasn't really sure how I would go about doing that and how I would replicate how I taught myself all of these things and um, in how, where I went and got um, further education. So I just would always politely say no. And then finally, sort of two things happened. You know, one, I had consistently long wait lists and couldn't help everyone by myself and really felt badly for these families. And two, as the internet grew, and this is even before social media, because now it's even more of an issue is that the internet, you know, it's good and it's bad, um, allows, yeah, allows people, yeah, exactly, allows people to claim to be an expert with very little training. And I was finding that parents were having success either following my book or somebody else's book, doesn't really matter with their own child. And then taking that information and kind of blanketly applying it to everybody and missing things like yeah. obstructive sleep apnea, restless leg, uh, postpartum mood and anxiety disorder, you know, and the, and the list goes on. And, and then that creates suffering um, in families. And I just had to have enough of those cases where I finally said, okay, I'm going to train other people. And so I created the gentle sleep coach certification program. It's the first in the world. I started it 12 years ago and it has a basic training for 12 weeks. I have a faculty panel with doctors, psychologists, lactation, occupational therapists, attorneys, myself, and, and some newborn um, coaches uh, and doulas. And we have a training and, and exams and pro bono cases you have to work with. And then we have a year long mentorship program um, that includes continuing education. So now I have the program also in Spanish and in English, and I have over 300 coaches all over the world helping families as gentle sleep coaches using my gentle sleep coaching method. That's amazing. So you've got a great network of sleep, sleep. Uh, they're not all sleep ladies, but I could say sleep coaches really coming yep. around yep. the world in different languages. Now, yeah. one of the things is what would be, I know that we've got limited time today and I do apologize for what's the, if you had any advice for parents that were really suffering from sleep, what would be your first piece of advice? That 
it's not hopeless that we can improve really pretty much any child's behavioral sleep problem. Um, so don't lose hope um, <laughs> and decide that you're re- when you're ready um, to really be committed and give yourself three weeks to make improving your family's sleep your priority, I would encourage you to reach out for help. You can go to, you know, my website, sleeplady.com, where I have a directory of coaches, or you could Google a gentle sleep coach and find somebody in, in your area, or you could even just start off with my book or a good solid, you know, evidence-based sleep training book and decide to create a plan and pick a start date and then, and follow through it. There really, I promise you, there can be improvement in your sleep. That's what we all want to hear. Sometimes you yeah. can't see. I, I've been there when you can't see light at the end of the tunnel when you're exactly. basically deprived. Now, the other one is, the last one is, if someone wants to become a sleep coach or even have a look into your gentle sleep coaching certificate program, what's the mm-hmm. best way to contact you? Yep, you can find it uh, either social media or the website gentlesleepcoach.com. Fantastic. Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. And I apologize for cutting it short, but we have and we've had an amazing discussion on all the different ways and inhibitors and sleep, looking at the impact of sleep for children's mental health. If anyone wants to know more, Kim's got a great website, thesleeplady.com, and she's also on social media. You can have a look through there. And the books um, you can buy from the website. Are they on Amazon as well? They certainly are. They certainly are. Thank <laughs> you so much for joining us today, Kim. Thank you, Heather. There are so many exciting developments happening right now in education. EDX Education would love to hear from you, so do get in touch or subscribe to our podcast, which is available on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn, and so many more. This podcast series is brought to you by Heather Welch from EDX Education, as she'd like to say, let's create lifelong learners.